Welcome to Gen Z's Digital Decalogue. I'm your host, Shivani, and today I'm joined with Rajul, who is an amazing influencer in this field of digital wellness. Rajul, do you want to go ahead and maybe introduce yourself a little bit about the work you do as well? Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for the wonderful opportunity, Shivani. It means a lot to me. Uh, to give a quick introduction for all the listeners out here, uh, professionally I work with EY in digital transformation and digital workplace. But personally, I believe in this cause of digital wellness a lot because of my own struggles with digital wellness. And not only just my own struggles with digital wellness, I can see it with people around me, people fubbing each other and the society in general. And I've talked about this message through various platforms like TEDx, uh, global platforms, local platforms across the world. So happy to be having a conversation around something. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. I think the first thing I guess we would like to do maybe to kick things off is really define what you believe digital wellness to be. So in your terms, what is digital wellness? I think that's a very important question because like everyone thinks of it differently. But if I have to summarize it in one line, digital wellness is about how you have a healthy relationship with technology. And it is very, very different for each and every person because we all have different routines, different schedules, etc. And to give an analogy to explain this, uh, technology's analogy is generally given with food a lot because of the similarities. And to explain this in more detail, the kind of food that you eat as a person, let's say if you eat the right types of vitamins, carbohydrates, proteins, it will shape you up as a uh, healthy physical human being. But if you don't eat it, eat food right in the right way, then you'll not be healthy, right? Similarly with technology, it's not bad inherently. If you use it in the right way, let's say you're consuming something that's growing you as a person, you're putting out content, making an impact on communities, you're using it in moderation, then it would enable you to be a Yeah, I mean, I think that's an amazing description of what digital well-being is. Um, and I love the food analogy. I, I like to use the food analogy, too, um, in a different sense. When I think of having a healthy relationship with technology, um, a lot of people think of, you know, cold turkey. Um, personally, I think of balance. I find that, you know, technology has done me so much good in terms of developing my skill set, giving me a lot of exposure. And at the same time, it has done a lot of bad in terms of, you know, the addiction of social media or the image that social media perpetuates. And for me, it's more of an insecurity. And that's kind of my biggest issue with social media is it kind of feeds into any little insecurities that I may have. And the analogy that I use in terms of finding a healthy way to deal with that is fad diets. So, you know, you wouldn't do that to your body in having a fad diet because it's it's temporary. Um, Going cold turkey for three weeks isn't really going to entirely change your relationship with technology, nor is it going to revolutionize your body if you have a fad diet. And that's kind of the parallel that I think of when I think of stopping entire social media use for a set period of time. And I played around with that, actually. I stopped using social media for about six or seven months for a period of time. Yeah, it was like a full full cleanse. And I wanted to see what sort of effect that would be having on my personal relationship with myself, if that you know, stop feeding on any insecurities. And it was an interesting experiment just because of how much it flopped. Um, I, I did go into it <laughs> thinking that it would be you know very successful. I would come out and I would magically be better. And I think that's just the naivete of a young teenager maybe. But when I went through that, I felt a lot of FOMO, which I definitely think is real. 
um, because it was during the pandemic and all my friends were on Instagram. That's all social media that I use is Instagram. And, you know, I kind of didn't get involved in that as much. And so I definitely felt like I was not as involved as everyone else in terms of the social landscape of my school and things like that. Um, it was an interesting experience because I learned about my own habit cycle and how I view digital well-being. Um, for me, it was trigger-based. So just like in any habit, um, my trigger was when I had a lot of work to do or when I was overwhelmed by the sheer mass of assignments I had. And that was the perfect opportunity for me to scroll. And so that was my trigger. And then the sort of action associated with my trigger was scrolling. And so what I did was, I guess, almost in a psychological sense, I switched out the action that I associated with that trigger. So instead of scrolling for those entire six months, I read a book or I went biking and I switched it up so mm. that in my head, um, that cycle sort of shifted into a different way, if that makes sense. I mean, I was still not doing my assignment, but <laughs> what I was doing was a little bit less <laughs> toxic, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I think I totally resonate with what you say. The fact that it's about balance, it's not about going cold turkey away from tech because it brings in a lot of benefits. And the fact that you mentioned that it's very different for you and different for different people, which is something that I totally agree with. I've also gone cold turkey and I think it helped me to a certain extent to get perspective on what is life beyond tech. But obviously it was not sustainable, hence I had to come back. So I totally resonate with your thoughts there. And secondly, to talk about how you changed your trigger to a different action, that is something that I totally agree with. I think there is this model, my knee rile, I think, which you've touched base upon, which talks about there are two types of triggers which come in. One is an external trigger when your phone calls you, like a notification ping. And one is an internal trigger, which you were mentioning about. For example, if you're feeling bored, if there's an uncomfortable feeling of not doing your homework, you want to escape that feeling and do something else. And technology is the easiest default for all of us out there. And honestly, I also have my struggles. It's, it's a constant journey. And it's so motivating to hear how you were able to change that trigger to something much more healthier. And Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, and, you know, I've heard a lot of, of the personal choices that you've made as well that's kind of helped you. I remember conversing with you via email and I saw this little icon down there that says that, you know, you don't you ha don't have notifications on for your email. Um, do you mind telling us a little bit about the different strategies that you use in terms of having a healthy relationship with your technology? Absolutely. I think it's a constant journey, as I said, but if I have to break it down, uh, I think one big bucket for me, how I kind of think about digital wellness in a more structured way is something called uh, MSP, using technology in a moderate way. M, S is safe, P is positive. So if I break down M, which is the moderate part of it, I, I have a lot of strategies which I use for uh, using technology in a very moderate way. To give a couple of examples, my phone is actually grayscale or black and white. So when I go to my phone, how long can I kind of scroll through Instagram, watch reels continuously when it's black and white? <laughs> so the rewards then go down because the colors are not there. So this is a trick which really works for me. Uh, there are a lot of other techniques which I also use. Uh, the one you mentioned about email. So there's something, there are very, uh, there's various extensions or tools out there which help you. So one example of that, which you might have noticed is something called inbox when ready. Inbox when ready. So when I go to my Gmail, my Gmail inbox won't automatically open. It'll, it'll ask me my intention. Like it'll ask me to click 
and my inbox will then display. So when I go to my inbox, what happens is sometimes there is an inundation of too many emails, too many things coming in. So when I go to my email, that kind of pauses and I can choose to in intentionally go to my email instead of the other way around. So that just reduces and makes me more mindful about my tech usage. So a lot of tools are out there. There are tools like Instagram Demetricator, which removes the number of likes, number of comments. So again, reducing the reward aspect of it. And there, I also try to not use my phone first thing in the morning, last thing in the night. I actually have these old analog uh, tips and tricks which work for me. I have this old-fashioned alarm clock which I use. So it helps me sleep much better. And I think if I get a quality sleep, it really reflects in my day. I'm more productive. I'm more healthier. And it really helps me a lot in that way. So a lot of strategies are used in moderation, uh, in the moderate bucket. Uh, in terms of positive, what I try to do is I just don't passively consume tech on or social media. I try to think of, so if you go to social media, there are two ways you can engage with it. One is that you're mindlessly scrolling, you're consuming content, which is also, which depends on how you kind of consume it. Like if you consume good, good content, that's good. Like for example, I try to watch a lot of self-help leadership stuff, which kind of grows me as a person. While obviously some form of entertainment is also good, but I also try to put in a lot of content. Like I make sure that I put a lot of, a lot of digital wellness content, reach out to a lot of people. So in a sense, I try to make community out there and make an impact on community. That's the P part of it in which I'm using technology positively. S means safe part, which essentially means if you're online, it's important to be safe. Like any house which is there, there needs to be a strong foundation for our digital life as well. Like if you build a house, the cement, the structure needs to be very sturdy. Similarly, when we go online, the structure needs to be very, very sturdy and strong. Uh, for example, having stronger passwords, there's something called multi-factor authentication in which uh, if you go, if someone else logs in from somewhere else in the country or somewhere outside, uh, you will get a notification on your phone. So there is a second layer of security before actually logging into your accounts. So again, there are a lot of these tips of being safe, moderate and positive online. And it's very different for each other, for each and every one of us. But these are some tips and tricks which comes to my mind, which really has helped me a lot in shaping the digital world. I, I love that. Shape. I love how you talk about how, you know, not only am I going to create an environment for myself that is beneficial for me, but, you know, you're going to push that upon others and sort of provide that for other people. And I think that's a really interesting thing that I've honestly not heard as much. Um, also, when you mentioned safety as one of your three pillars, that kind of got me thinking as to what safety meant to me. And I'll be honest with you, that is one side of the spectrum that I've just never had much of a concern for. Um, you know, I recently turned 18 and I have had social media since the ninth grade. Um, and my excuse for getting it in ninth grade was that everybody in school was on it. Um, I needed it for school. A lot of the organizations in my school have Instagram. Um, and, you know, that was sort of the excuse that I used for my parents. I was like, please let me get Instagram. Everyone has it. And for me, you know, one thing that I just never considered too much really throughout this whole process was the safety component of it. Um, for me, I just clicked, okay, 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 for everything, pretty much in every app I'm on and every sort of thing I sign up for online. I, I don't really consider safety to be a major issue. And when I talk to a lot of peers in my school or peers um, in the digital well-being movement around my age group, I find that a lot of us have that same thing. It's kind of like 
something that a lot of people talk about is, you know, my data, who's taking my data, what is being looked at in my data. And that kind of reminds me of how Facebook's algorithm works, right? So essentially, for those of you guys who don't know, it's, it's, there's a whole inventory of things. And the first thing that they do, the first thing that the algorithm does, and it's not a singular omniscient algorithm, it's a combination of various algorithms that work to develop your feed. And the first bit is just an examination of the inventory. So every single piece of inventory, whether that be, you know, videos, posts, photos, all of that is analogued and it's all organized. And so once that inventory is searched, it's given a rating based on the likelihood of appealing to you. And that's collected using your data on your past usage of the app, on your previous interactions with accounts and different mediums, whether that be photos or links. Um, and so all of this goes into the ranking system and they rank everything for you. And on your For You page or on your newsfeed, they present all that information to you in a specific order from you know, most relevant to least relevant. And all of this is curated using data they've collected on us. And honestly, it was just something that I had never cared about before. It was something that, okay, they're taking this and in return, I get personal customization of everything that I see. And so I'm curious to see, you know, what made safety a big issue for you for you to have included it in your three pillars? Absolutely. So first of all, I really agree with what you're saying and the experiences that, experiences that you shared. And I remember a couple of things which came to my mind, a couple of things which I was reading some time back. So one of them was, and I think it was a study which stated that around 100 to 150 different likes on your Facebook algorithm or pages tells you more about you than your spouse itself or your friends. That's and family itself. So that's, that just kind of alarmed me a lot. <laughs> Second is to kind of put more context to online privacy and why it's important and to help people understand this. Uh, I think let's just think about it in this way. Like say, if you're a kid going to school and if I kind of, I as a principal or any stakeholder asks a private investigator to go with you everywhere you go, from your bathroom to when you talk to people, to the cafeteria, to every moment, how would you feel? You would feel intruded, right? This is, my privacy is going away. But now think about your phone. Think about, instead of a person, you have this digital phone with you, which collects various data points about you, from your audio, from the way you talk, from your location. It's essentially collecting data about you and they have a lot of information about you, which you're not directly aware, but just think about how would you feel about it then? Like think about this analogy and how does it make you feel? Like essentially they know where you are, how you're feeling. So be very careful about your data. That's the point that I wanted to make. Right. Yeah. I, I definitely see what you're saying. I think at, the, at first when I thought of, oh, I'm giving them access to X, Y, and Z, I tried reading through the terms and conditions at one point. Um, and I kind of did some research on a little bit of the types of data that are being given to providers like this. And I'll be honest with you, at first, I didn't see a problem with it, primarily because I thought that this is the price I paid for the customization and the personalization of what I see. Um, and then I remember once I searched my name up on the internet. I feel like in high school, everyone does that a couple of times just to see what shows up. Um, and I remember looking through that. And then I remember just scrolling down and my address was on there. My phone number was on there. There was things about like myself. Like I, I found this one page is up employee directory and people had experience, like information about my past experiences in, my, in the workplace and things like that. Like how did they get this? And it's, it's, 
kind of interesting to see um, <laughs> how much information is present. Because um, I have a nonprofit organization, and it's a public organization. And so as the CEO of that company, my information goes out to the IRS. It goes out to all, like, the national sources and things like that. And it was, like, smack dab in the first page of searching my name. And so I said, okay, wow, so if somebody looks my name up on the internet for whatever reason, they will know every single thing about me. They'll know where I went to school, what awards I won from grades 9 to 12, um, which middle school I studied in, how many views I have on my cryptocurrency project on YouTube. So uh, literally everything <laughs> is on there, which is very That's you know, kind of creepy now that you say it like that too. You know, I wouldn't Stadium. want everyone knowing every single detail about me. So I definitely think that privacy is an important thing that's often overlooked by a lot of young people just because we've grown to expect it almost. Yeah, okay, I'm signing up for something. I know my privacy is going to be exploited here. So I think that's kind of interesting. And we exchange convenience for privacy. Like who would want to spend hours and hours kind of going through terms and conditions, reviews, privacy settings. We just go by the default and just want to save time. But the thing is we're spending months years on these apps but we hardly spend minutes or just half an hour to kind of research on these privacy policies and why what kind of data it is collecting i think that, that we're just exchanging i think that's the best way privacy, to put it yeah and um i would like to maybe ask you kind of personal totally question with um what is your like major i don't want to say issue but what is the major negative that you see affecting yourself personally in terms of social media use Hmm. Uh, good question. Uh, so I think it depends a lot on the state of mind as well. Uh, for me, internal triggers can sometimes be an issue. Uh, for example, I I'll be very honest. I think instant messaging can be a struggle for me sometimes to reply to people in a certain period of time. So I think that can be a struggle with me sometimes, and I honestly struggle with that. Uh, so I think that sense of uh, reciprocity to uh, reply back in a certain period of time is a struggle with me. That's why I think WhatsApp is something that I've been struggling with. Yeah, it's funny with you say that because I'm exactly the same. Um, so my name is Shivani and some of my friends at school call me Shivanti for like, you know, kind of mixing Shivani and auntie because I respond with the rate of an auntie. Um, like I just, I don't, I don't pick up. I don't, <laughs> I don't respond. And I always say, sorry, bro. And then I don't respond like, like a day later. And so it's definitely a huge problem that I have too. I'd say when it comes to social media in particular, my biggest thing is seeing like a specific lifestyle propagated. And what I mean by that is like um, in terms of YouTube or Instagram, I often follow a lot of um, influencers or YouTubers who speak about productivity or who speak about, um, I don't know, workout routines or lifestyle. And I, at some point, you know, I was like, oh, everyone lives like this. And there's people who say, you know, this is my 5 a.m. workout routine. They'll wake up at 5 a.m. They'll make a smoothie bowl. They'll go to the gym for like two hours. They'll do like a bunch of crazy things. And they'll say it as if they do it every single day. And there are people who post 12-hour study with me. Um, and sometimes, you know, you play that in the background while you're studying to see if you can study for 12 hours straight. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I study a lot. Like, I definitely spend a lot of hours in one place trying to study, but I still can't study for 12 hours straight. And seeing all those videos and those people made me think that I should be studying for 12 hours straight when I don't even think that's possible. So I think that's kind of interesting. 
absolutely i think i agree with what you're saying uh that sense of uh i think a like reciprocity i think and the fact that we see influencers online doing a lot of stuff the benchmarks are very very high for us that sense of lifestyle sometimes you feel that you need to be there but i think sometimes it's okay to be yourself to be self compassionate and to be just happy with where you are in that space and i think with social media uh, specifically those examples can become very very <laughs> very very high standards can be high and we just set up big standards for ourselves and i think if you also think about it a lot of us kind of project our best selves online which can also be harmful so we need to be cognizant about the fact that not everything online needs to be it's only one side of the story not the full side of the story just one side of the picture and everything should be taken with a pinch of salt yeah i think that awareness is super important um i remember like you know being 15 and i i think at some point i i assumed that this is how everyone is um i i don't know how to even phrase that it it was kind of this uh, i felt like it was normal to study for 12 hours at once for um you to be perfect and for you to you know be good at exercising be good at studying be good at extracurriculars i thought it was normal to just try to have all this there's something wrong with me in that i couldn't have that and i think that's a consequence of introducing it so young um because we kind of normalize that as as oh this is how you should be behaving this is how you should look this is what you should wear um i think that yeah Uh, and that brings me to maybe Instagram for kids. Um, I know that that initiative is kind of as of right now shot down, but I was wondering what you thought of that um, and Facebook's or Meta's approach to it. Absolutely, I think it was everywhere in the news. I think it also reflects somewhere in the stock price fall as well. <laughs> A lot of aspects. Uh, so my thoughts is first of all, I think uh, I think it's important to be not anti-tech, which is something that I want to make clear. It's about being healthy technology. wanted to put that caveat also across while we're focusing on how do we kind of go away with these harmful aspects of tech but tech comes in with a lot of benefits so having that healthy tech perspective really helps a lot coming to your question of instagram for kids uh, i think uh, i totally agree that obviously instagram below 13 years <laughs> it's not exactly a right way and i think it's proven by research as well that our brains are not developed that much to take in that kind of uh, social media social validation it's uh, it still develops i think from a research standpoint so i think the best way is a ramped up approach towards technology you just don't give a lot of technology to kids like it's just like any tool like would you give a knife to your kid or would you like give any tool to your kid and just expect them to learn on the go like any kid can reach to pornography in 3 clicks so it's a tool ultimately which you need to help people students or kids learn so it's a ramped up approach you give, you start with a video call uh, you you do a video call with your okay you do a video call with the grandparents or stuff like that and you then kind of ramp it up you then start doing some kind of online course you then start some watch or the educational content so it's it's introduced gradually you just can't give all kinds of tech to students or kids and just imagine social media instagram there's so many things right from socially buying things and bad actors good actors there's so much that is there so i think uh, it should be a ramped up approach yeah i think that's a it's a wonderful point um i actually have a younger brother and he is 11 years old right now and for him his kryptonite is video games 
And that is, I feel, something that's highly, highly, like, I guess, filled when it comes to his age gap or his particular age group. Um, and a lot of those kids within that age group, they use Discord, they use Google Hangouts, they use these platforms to connect with one another and play games with each other. And I just kind of juxtapose it with my with my childhood, which is, again, not too big of a difference. We're around seven years apart. And for me, the way I interact with my friends was all, like, physical. We went outside to play. We um, we played games. We, we did handshakes. We did, you know, all those things that you would expect a young child to do. And my brother... His upbringing in terms of his relationship with his friends is very, very different. And I think that's culturally had an influence on the next generation, which I think is kind of a fascinating outlook. Yes, yeah, I like that, born digital. Um, and, you know, I also really agree with what you say about not being anti-tech. I think technology is, is extremely beneficial to everyone in multiple ways. It's just important for us to be conscious about our use and make sure that we have a balance between that good and that bad. Yeah. Um, I actually have to go to class at 1010, um, so I have to drive to school now. But it was nice talking to you. Likewise. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was great I meeting you. I really loved hearing your experiences, and I think it's... I'm sure it also helps the listeners a lot gain more perspective on different experiences of tech use and I'm sure they must have taken some key takeaways to have a healthy relationship with tech. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. You know, I would go I'd like to go ahead and thank you for being here, Raju. I loved hearing your different perspectives and your ideas. Um I love the systematic approach that you took to digital well being. I think making it concrete, definable in terms of your different pillars, your different ideas and solutions. I think that was wonderful, and thank you so much for being here and speaking to us. Is there any kind of closing remarks you want to make? Uh, so I love this quote, which I live on a day-to-day -day basis, and the quote is by Annie Dillard. How we spend our days, and I quote, how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. Do you want to be connected to technology 24-7? Do you want to scroll endlessly through our social media? on a day-to-day -day basis rather use that time to live and feel life believe me when you're on your deathbed you won't remember moments like applying filters to your photos binge watching netflix you would rather moments outside tech connecting with people or using tech in a healthy way healthy consumption healthy production those are the moments that you would remember thus i feel the time has come for each and every one of us to open our eyes to a world that does not only screen see screens all the time but to the beauty around us as well or the way we use technology in healthy way.